How to be truly countercultural next on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place, gotta dwell with man. Sick, be healed, and the crippled stand singing, Hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I say, let this world know me by your Modern popular culture has a profound influence on the attitudes and behaviors of the world around us. This reality calls for some soul searching. How different are we than the world around us? Perhaps some changes are in order. Well, today's Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray can help us with that. And we're so glad you've joined us. We're currently making our way verse by verse through 1 Thessalonians. And in chapter 4, we're given encouraging instruction on how to be truly countercultural. We invite you to join us there as Pastor Ed begins today's lesson, reading this important and relevant scripture. We're working our way through this scripture. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. Paul writes, finally, then brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments or instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification being set aside, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified, for God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness, literally sanctification. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so towards all the brethren who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life to mind your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you that you may walk properly towards those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. Let's stop there and pray. Lord, we ask that you speak to us from this section of scripture that was written to a church 2,000 years ago, but definitely speaks to us today. Teach us now, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Pleasing God instead of pleasing ourselves. This section of scripture that requires some finesse, I always try and bring the word in a way that is G-rated, because some of you like to bring your children in, and so I will try and not embarrass myself or you in the process of dealing with the scripture, but it's an important topic that was true to them back then, and certainly true to us in our society, in our culture today. There was last century, the turn of the last century, a pastor from Scotland, his name was McNeil, who loved to tell the story of the eaglet that was captured 
by a farmer down on the ground. And the farmer put a restraint on the bird so it couldn't fly. It was too young anyway. And he kept it in his barnyard. And he had chickens. And it wasn't very long until the eaglet was pecking and scratching like a chicken, like a hen. For months, this bird was there acting just like the chickens. And then a friend of his visited almost a year later who was a shepherd from up on the side of the mountain. And when he saw the eaglet, he began to cry. And he said, why would you do that to this beautiful bird that's supposed to soar? We need to set it free. And the farmer was embarrassed and agreed. And so they took the restraint off, but the bird continued to scratch and peck like a chicken. So the shepherd went over and picked up the bird, this big eagle now, and put it high on a rock wall. And for the first time, the eagle looked up and saw the mountain with its clouds and the sun shining, and he let out a cry, and he flapped his wings and took off. For the first time in the eagle's life, he was acting like what he was. Now, the Apostle Paul is speaking to that subject in this section of Scripture, that we who have given our hearts to the Lord now are being changed because God lives inside us, and we're becoming being sanctified, being set aside, we were becoming all that God intended us to be. Paul wrote this letter to a church that was in a very difficult situation. The culture of the society was heavily immersed in immorality. In fact, it was the standard of that day. There was little or no morality in the culture of Rome. Now, Paul is writing to a church that he had started just a few weeks earlier. He only spent less than a month in the city of Thessalonica. It's up in the northern part of Greece, what he called Macedonia, northern Greece today. It's a beautiful area. Paul is on his second missionary journey. You can read about it in Acts chapter 17. And he comes to this city that sits at the foot of this mountain. This is Mount Olympus, beautiful mountain, the mountain of the gods, so the Romans and the Greeks thought. Uh, Thus, we get the Olympic Games named from that mountain. So this city, you can imagine, this is the theater inside the city. Notice the modern buildings around it because it sits right in the middle of the city of Thessalonica or Salonica as they call it today. This is a picture of Corinth where Paul is when he writes this letter. Now, Corinth is famous for that Acropolis up there on the top of the hill. It was a temple to Diana, a temple to Aphrodite, same deity. So this is a culture that's immersed in temple worship. It was a beautiful city because Corinthian marble was all around. It actually was white, and they said it dazzled in the sun. And Paul was never a guy to sit and do nothing, so he's in the Las Vegas of first century Greece, and he brings the gospel there. Now, he writes this letter because Timothy, a young pastor in training, had gone to visit the church that Paul had started a few weeks earlier, and he comes back with word that they were doing really well, and that there were wonderful things happening in the church. In fact, they were sending out missionaries already to other parts of the Roman Empire. But they had some questions. And so Paul writes, and he writes them about 
his heart as a pastor, and then he begins to deal with individual things. And in this section, he's exhorting them. He's building them up. Keep in mind that they were doing very well. He's not in any way chastising them. He's saying, you're living in difficult circumstances. They were already under persecution, but they were in this Greco-Roman culture that was filled with sexual innuendos. So uh, it's a good thing we don't have any problems with that in our culture, but there might be a few things here that are parallel. So we're going to look at it. It breaks up into three parts. The first section, he was writing about their walk, but it's our walk too, one and two. Your sanctification, verse three through eight. And then finally, your brotherly love in nine through 12. So it's a very orderly step-by-step, three issues that they evidently had asked about. So let's jump in, work through some scriptures that in our society are probably controversial. Some of you may struggle with the concepts. Let's look at verse 1. Finally then, brothers and sisters, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more. You're doing good. We want you to abound more. Just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. In the Lord Jesus, Paul reminds them that he wrote with the authority of Jesus himself. Paul seems to be aware that he is at least giving God's word here. I believe that Paul sensed the Holy Spirit so strongly in his life when he was writing these letters He knew at that moment that he was writing something that would become Scripture because he knew it wasn't entirely him. He says, how you ought to walk and please God. Now, we've seen already that the Bible talks a lot about our walk. And it's a metaphor. It's a picture of the path that we're on, the course that you're on. And your walk is different than the person across the room from you or the person sitting next to you. The Old Testament talks about walk in Genesis chapter 5. Verse 24 says, and Enoch walked with God. And that's pretty high praise in the Bible to say that someone walked with him. The Apostle John also wrote about it in 1 John 1, 5 through 7. He said, walk in the light as he is in the light. So as we go through our daily pathway, the things that we do every day, the practical things, walk along your path with Jesus. He wants to be with you. Paul, of course, has talked about it over and again. Second Corinthians 5, 7, he said, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We can't see the spiritual things that are going on. Many times we're completely oblivious to them until after they've happened. But he said, walk that way by faith. God is using you today. Ephesians 4, 1, walk worthy of the vocation where you are called, what you're doing. What is it that you're doing? And notice that it is God who's in it. Ephesians 4.17, walk not as the other Gentiles walk, as pagans walk. You should walk differently. Your life should look different in very practical ways. Walk in love, Ephesians 5.2. Do loving things. Have high regard for other people. Be kind, Ephesians 5.8. Walk as children in the light, not in the darkness. You're no longer children of the night, your children of the day. Walk in the light that you have. Paul says that, oh, that you should abound more and more. Grow. uh, Experience more of God. He's saying that this walk 
is not a static one. It's a very dynamic one. It's changing all the time. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. He said, Paul said, abound more and more and have life more abundantly. Jesus meant not just eternal life in the sweet by and by, and we look forward to that. But in this life, practically today, every day, that God's grace is coming to you. Are you receiving it? We saw that in Romans 5, 17. Those who receive his abounding grace and gift of righteousness shall rule through the one Christ Jesus. Is that like the coolest verse ever? Those who receive his free gift of grace. Grace is a gift. We don't earn it. Well, I'm not performing very good today, Pastor. Welcome to the human race. (laughs) You receive grace. Open yourself up to receive his grace and gift of righteousness. His abounding grace and gift. You don't earn it. I don't earn it. We don't merit it. It just is given to us. And reign in life. Don't be under the circumstances. Be above them because God is taking you through that. Reign in life through the one Christ Jesus. So, how you ought to walk and please God. Living Bible. Live in a way that pleases God. This is Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. He's providing the biblical underpinnings on pleasing God. To illustrate this concept of pleasing God by way of a contrast to the world around us. And then he'll take us deeper into 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Once again, here's Pastor Ed. This is at odds with much of what our culture, our society says today. We live in a culture that is trying to please itself. In fact, many people say that. If it feels good, do it. Indulge yourself. Paul says, to really live, we must live to please God. That's the key to the genuine, authentic Christian life, that my focus would be on him. The man who is outside of Jesus Christ lives to please himself. The man who lives to please himself is rarely pleased. It just doesn't work. If you live for selfishness, you turn inward and you use people and you love things. God wants to flip that in my life and yours, that we would love people, use things, but love people. The man who lives to pursue and please God finds great satisfaction. The greatest satisfaction in my life is at the end of the day when my head hits the pillow bank to stop and think, wow, I actually walked with God today. There were some things that happened that I usually can't see them in advance, but afterwards that I go, wow, that was right, that was good. I walk today in the will of the Lord, that's what this says. Jesus said, I do always those things which please the Father. So that's my goal. That's your goal, that what I do and say today, this day, and then again tomorrow, then the next, and then the next, God would be pleased with. It would make him happy. And we receive abounding more and more life as we live to please God. That's the promise of the first verse. Second verse says, for you know what commandments, commandment is an unfortunate Translation, para-angela is the Greek word. It means instructions, what we taught you. Paul's not adding commandments to their lives or your and my life. 
there are 10 commandments, and then there are 613 commandments, and there's a whole bunch of other commandments that many people draw from the New Testament. Jesus said it's all reduced to two. It's actually reduced to one, but for simplicity, love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You can really reduce it to a single word, love God. Love your neighbor. Love is the answer to all the commandments. So Paul isn't talking about commandments. He's talking about instructions. In 1 Timothy 1.5, Paul used it to refer to the whole practical teaching of Christianity. Again, Paul reminds them of the things that he taught them. He didn't just teach people how to be saved, but he also taught how to live as saved people, the response of the Holy Spirit in your life. So that's the first section, your walk. Second section, your sanctification. Sanctification is the key word, really, to this whole section. It means to be set aside. We'll come to that uh, a little more deeply. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. This is the will of God, that you be set apart. Weiss translates this, set apart, that you should hold yourselves from all sexual sins. Living Bible, God wants you to be set aside, that you should keep clear of sexual sins. This is the will of God. Literally, it says, a thing willed by God for your life, for my life. What is God's will for your life? Your sanctification, your growth. It's this process that takes place in our lives. Hagaosmos is the Greek word, and it, it's used in verse 3, 4, and 7. Ten times in the New Testament, it means sanctification. There's another word for holy, and I have trouble with the word holy because it means something different today than when Paul wrote it. Sanctification is something that's set aside for God. Example, Old Testament, the holy articles for the tabernacle, Moses was commanded to make. He made censers and bowls and forks and knives and, and plates. They were holy. They didn't have any moral choice to make. They were set aside for use for worship, for God, set aside for God. So that's the concept here. That's what the believers were moving towards. So sanctification is an event and it is a process. Being set aside happens when you first come to the Lord and it continues through your life. There's another technical word, justification, that's defined often as just as if I'd never sinned. That's that moment when God takes my life when I surrender and he forgives my sins and I'm just as if I've never sinned. It happens in an instant. Sanctification is a process. It is a development. It goes through my life, goes through your life from the time you first came to the Lord until you quit breathing here, air. In my life, it started on August 13th, 1972, 8.15 in the evening. Redondo Beach, California, I know the instant it happened because it was so unexpected. Such an unreasonable thing to my scientific mind at that time that it's embedded. I have been given this gift of faith. I know that I know that I know. And many of you have this same sense that God is real and that this world is temporary and that we don't just die and go into a hole and throw dirt on it like some kind of animal. 
No, we're made in the image of God. God has made us sentient beings. We're the only self-aware animals on the planet. Oh, yes, there are animals that have some communicable abilities that are able to communicate one with another, dolphins, etc., some chimpanzees. But self-awareness, abstract thinking, compound thinking, you are unique in that. Reason, moral understanding. So God has given us this gift But it's a process that goes on. It began at our second birth when we were born again. God says, I create within you a new life, a second birth, a birth of spiritual consequences, and you are justified and you are sanctified, but you are being sanctified, being set aside for God's use, just like those utensils in the tabernacle, being set aside for God's use. So justification, Barnhouse said, is the act of God whereby he declares an ungodly man woman to be perfect while he or she is still ungodly. (laughs) What? Is God confused? Not in the least. He understands that it's an extraordinary thing when God looks at a caterpillar and he sees a butterfly. That's what this says. You see, you are transformed. You are in the process of being transformed. You are metamorphized. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, Paul told the Romans. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't be pressed in. That's really what he's talking about here. Being conformed to this world. Don't allow that to happen. But be transformed from the inside out. A metamorphosis that takes place in you and me that's as radical as a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. Is a tadpole becoming a frog? Not quite as picturesque, is it? How about a pupa becoming a dragonfly? Something like that, Okay. So sanctification is the rise and growth of a new life form. It's not a straight line. It's a little wiggly. We wobble, right, a little bit along the way. But it's going on. It's a constant process. Got a scripture for that, Pastor? Yes, Philippians 1.6. Being confident in this very thing that he, capital H, God, who began a good work in you, justification, just as if you'd never sinned, will perform it sanctification through your life until the day of Jesus Christ, your glorification. When you get a new XL Supersport body that can pass through walls, that can do really cool things that we can't do right now, you'll be mm, somewhere between 20 and 30 years old. You'll be beautiful. Everyone will go, I don't think I know you. Say, yes, you do. Aren't you Miss America, ladies? No. You remember me? We went to church together just trying to help you look forward to that new body that's coming. Paul says, you're doing good. That's who you are. That's the eagle that God has called you to be, and he's doing it in you. That you should abstain from sexual immorality. The word is pornea, and it means literally sexual sins. This means no sexual contact outside of marriage. This means no bigamy, polygamy, homosexuality, prostitution. This means all premarital and extramarital sex is wrong. Why is Paul saying this so clearly? Well, in the first century throughout the Roman Empire, chastity and sexual purity were unknown virtues. In fact, when you read letters or comments of the day, people were only bragging about their own immorality. No one looked at chastity as something that was a positive thing even. So believers then and now are to follow God's standard of sexual morality that is not the current standard of this society. You see, Jesus was as far out revolutionary as you've ever considered. 
You are to be counterculture in the truest meaning of that word. A radical and much-needed word Pastor Ed Ray touches on there if we're to fulfill our call and be like Jesus in our culture today. There's much more to consider about our sanctification. We'll do that next time on Grow in Grace. We're traveling through 1 Thessalonians verse by verse. For a CD copy of today's message, give us a call at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. Or listen online at thepackinghouse.org when it's most convenient. And to help you grow in grace, we'd like to recommend Pastor Ed's daily devotional. It's accessible online at thepackinghouse.org. This month we're featuring an excellent book by our friend in the ministry, Gail Irwin. It's titled The Jesus Style. When Jesus taught us that the greatest must become like a servant, what was he driving at? We'll find the answer by studying the life of Jesus and his style of ministry. It's totally opposed to our natural leanings, so we need some help. Request a copy of the Jesus Style today, and we'll send it your way for a gift of any amount to grow in grace. And please remember, it's your support that helps us bring these teachings to the radio every day. Please consider helping us continue this ministry on this station of yours. Give us a call again, 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. May God richly bless you as you grow in grace. This program is listener-supported and brought to you by the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands, California. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said let this world know me by your love.